The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. In the sixth month, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we, uh, Lord, we are thankful for you. Lord, we are thankful that uh, as we celebrate Christmas, uh, we celebrate you. Father, Christmas is nothing else uh, to, to us to your disciples as you in your glory. So Father, may that be a reminder for us, Lord, and may you use Matt uh, to preach the gospel. Father, may it be uh, uncomfortable for us to hear so that it wrestles with our hearts and that it pushes us back to the one who loves us most. Father, we thank you, we love you. And everyone said, amen. amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. All right, well, good morning. Listen, if I had my dithers, I would go back to looking the way I did in the first picture, but as you get older, things start happening with your hair and your beard, and it just, sometimes you just got to go, go short. Um, plus, I wanted to get married, and uh, <laughs> my wife prefers this, you know, we do the best we can of what we've got, right? Uh, all right. So as Randall mentioned, my name is Matt Davis. I work with our care and counseling uh, department back in, in Savannah. Me and my buddy Ethan, who's our worship pastor, have been here since Thursday. Just wanted to love on Randall and Billy and some of your team. And and really, Ethan and I have been talking about this since we got here. Um, We came to, hopefully, by God's grace, bestow a little, you know, wisdom or just care and love on on your team. Uh, But we've learned so much. Uh, Our church is in our 11th year, um, and, and there are times when we... We can get complacent as you get older and you lose some of the DIY. As you see, I was a bit of a punk, punk rocker. Um, so DIY is like in my blood. And, and if you're not careful, you, you can lose that. And so I just want to encourage you all today to, to, man, get on the ground and go, you know, and stay, stay just hungry and faithful to that. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to see and to witness and just to be encouraged by. Um, so, yeah, my name's uh, Matt. I'm not going to say that anymore. 
It's like the eighth time. What's my name? No. Uh, <laughs> um, I've got, let's see, a wife, two kids. I've got an almost six-year-old, a 10-month-old. Um, and it was actually really funny. Yesterday, I was FaceTiming, and uh, my oldest is Olive, and then Rosie's my youngest. And my wife said, oh, look, there's Rosie. And she saw my picture and goes, <gasps> and like started walking, crawling towards me. And my wife got really frustrated. She's like, you know, she never does this for me. Uh, so it was fun. So uh, as we read the, the text, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of read through it again and walk through it piece by piece, but it, 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 it's fun to be here on the first Sunday of Advent. And I, I didn't know, I've talked with Randall about the text. I didn't know what the text was going to, uh, uh, the, the series was going to be. And, and I saw the sign this morning, Jesus our King. And that is a bold statement. Right, like it's a bold statement. First off, we live in a in a in a you know three party system country, so we don't really have the king. We don't understand the monarchy like some nations do. But but Jesus, our King, that is a, a bold statement, right? And so this morning, what I want to talk about is the I think the reality that Jesus being born, Jesus coming to Earth, Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnation is the greatest news in the history of the world, okay? Greatest news in the history of the world. I want you to think of a time in your life where uh, you just received some just incredibly great news, okay? About six, six months or so into marriage, um, my wife and I both felt like, you know, we want to start a family. Uh, we got married a little older. I was 29, um, and so we're like, you know, we want to start a family. We want to uh, do this thing and, and have kids, and, and so, you know, I'm not going to get into how all that happened, but we, we got to the place where uh, we needed to get the test, right? And so we, we got the test, and we're sitting there waiting, and uh, I was like, man, this, this is a big deal. Like, this is kind of surreal. This is not how I thought this was going to go. And, and, and so we, we wanted to check it at the same time, right? So we said, all right, on three, one, two, three, and we turned it over, and there are two lines, right? And I thought to myself, wait, wait, let's do it again. <laughs> Wow, two lines. And my wife, she's crazy. She's like, all right, I need to take the other eight that I bought just to make sure it's real. Um, but that was the question. Well, the question was, is it true? Like, is this real? You I mean, she looks the exact same, right? Is it true? Is she really, is this true? Can I believe that, that she's actually pregnant? And then the second question that kept popping into my head as a, as a soon-to-be new dad and that I kept continuing to wrestle with is, what are the implications for my life? How is this baby, this child that I've been, been called by God to, to be a father to, how is, how is it going to affect my life? How is it going to change my life? Am I going to be able to live the same way that I used to live? Am I going to be able to do the same things that I used to do? What are the implications for my life? And so the, today, those are the same questions I want to ask for this text. As, as, as Grace City moves into uh, the Advent season, the season in which we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus as man, I want us to look at and set the foundation for going forward. Is it true? Can we believe the text? And if it's true, what are the implications for our life? How does it affect us, okay? So that's, that's where we'll be this morning. Uh, I want to kind of, again, reread some of this text and walk through it a little bit piece by piece. So uh, Luke 1, starting in 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee uh, named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So, 
So a couple of characters introduced right out of the gate. We've got a, a guy by the name of Gabriel. He is an angel. Um, a little context to, to Gabriel uh, and, and the story right before this, he had actually gone to uh, Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, and her husband, Zechariah, to say, hey, you, lady, who have been betrothed and, and who are, he didn't say it this way, this is a paraphrase, um, older and barren are going to have a child. Okay, so he goes, and, and Zechariah kind of goes back and forth with him a little bit, and Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Okay, so Gabriel is an angel that stands in the presence of God, and I don't, I don't know a ton about angelology or anything like that, but anybody that stands in the presence of God has to have some gravitas, right? Like he, he is there day to day, standing in the presence of God. He's, for all, I, I assume he is there right now, okay? And so, so Gabriel comes to, to deliver this message to uh, Mary. And, and by the way, Gabriel is not only delivering the, the message of John the Baptist, who we'll talk about in a minute, but, but of, of the Savior of the world, right? So he is a, an important figure, and he goes to this little girl named Mary. Now, Mary is probably around 15, give or take a year or two, um, I know that seems strange for our culture, but it was very culturally normal in that day to, to marry young. Um, and so she was betrothed, uh, which is, it's, it's an engagement. It's not full-on marriage, but it's, it's more than engagement because they would actually have to get a divorce if they were to become unbetrothed. Um, so this to this guy named Joseph. Now Joseph was in the family line of King David. David was a great uh, former king of Israel who was a man after God's own heart, is the way he is described um, and so, and, and as we go through this, I, I want us to understand that Luke is a brilliant writer. Right? He is not just giving us random facts. He is, he is in detail, giving de- important details about prophecies coming to fulfillment about this man named Jesus. And we'll talk about what that means in just a, a couple of minutes. Uh, but I don't want us to just say, oh, he's, you know, come to Mary, who is a virgin, who, oh, and is Gabriel, and is this, and oh, and Luke, and the line of David. Every detail is hugely important, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, 29, so, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there, there will be no end. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. So Gabriel shows up and says, oh, favored one. And she, first off, there's an angel in the room. Secondly, she's not, she's bewildered, right? She's like, I don't understand what type of greeting this is, you know? That's how we read it. But he, she is like terrified and confused, okay? Because this angel comes out of nowhere. Now, she, and Gabriel then says, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. So, so Mary is a faithful Jew. She loves Yahweh. She is faithful to the law. But listen, she is favored because of God's grace to Mary. Okay, it is not, um, and, and listen, this is not a knock on our Catholic brothers and sisters or I don't know what your upbringing is or anything like that, but Mary, there's nothing in the text that says that Mary was perfect. There's nothing in the text that says she was, she, Gabriel comes to tell her that she is favored by God, okay? It is, it is God's grace alone that puts the merited favor upon Mary, not anything that Mary has done in particular, okay? So, 
Um, and she, he tells him, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have a son, and he, you will call his name Jesus. And so then and he, she, he goes into a, an explanation, a few uh, descriptors of who this Jesus is. He will be great, okay? And this is not a qualifier statement. Uh, it says earlier of John the Baptist that John the Baptist will be great in the eyes of the Lord, right? So there's something about uh, John the Baptist that, that Jesus, uh, the God, the Father looks upon and says, oh, he, he will be great in my eyes, okay? It's not that type of qualifier. This is Jesus. He will be great. It's just who he is. It's like Matt is a, a you know, short, muscular, Caucasian man, okay? I know, I'm not short. Um, so, so it's just who Jesus is. He will be great, okay? He will be great. And then he says he will be son of the most high. That is a, a descriptor that says he will be the son of God. So everything that follows comes, it, it must be looked at and understood through the sonship of God the Father. And, and, and we talk about this, it's not, uh, you, I'm sure Randall's talked to you many times about this, but this concept of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, where he is not, um, he is not a lesser God, okay? Jesus the Son. Like, I, I am an honor, I am below my Father. Right, because he's the patriarch. When we get together and my grandfather's there, I'm like, oh, he prays. And even in my house, oh, he prays. He's the patriarch, right? It's, it's not that. They are of equal value, equally God, just in different persons. And, 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 and so that's what's going on here. He, but he is the son of the most high God. Um, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, just prior, just prior, he said he was the son of the most high. David is not the most high. Okay, so what's going on here? If he's Father David and Son of God, I don't, I don't understand. In, in that literature and that understanding, Father is just a, a line of, of lineage, right? And so he is, his Father David, way, 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 way back, uh, was, was a relative by the name of David. So we know that um, Joseph was already be, has already been shown to be in the line of King David. Okay, so down the line, down the line, down the line, um, Joseph is in the line of King David. And so, so he's not the son of David, he is in the line of David, okay? So, and, and well, I'll get, I'll get to that in a minute. He will reign over the house of Jacob. Who was Jacob? Well, um, way back um, in, in Genesis, we, we learn about this guy, Abraham, and, and God gives this promise to Abraham that you're gonna be, the, the, the whole world will be blessed through you, right? And, and, and uh, Abraham and Sarah were, were barren, and so they get into this conversation about how that's gonna be, but, but he has, uh, they have a child um, named Isaac, and Isaac has a child named uh, Jacob and Esau. And long story short, um, Esau, even though he was the older brother, did not get the, the blessing, right? He did not get the lineage uh, of the blessing. And so that now this promise of the whole world being blessed through Abraham goes through Jacob. And so Jacob has the 12 sons, and, and basically, long story short, what, what being over the house of Jacob means is being over God's people, okay? He is the father over God's people. He is, he is over the house of Jacob, okay? So, so this Jesus is going to be over the house of Jacob, which is basically saying he's gonna be over all of God's people, past and future, okay? So we, we are, if you're a believer in this room today, you are a part of that family that is under uh, King Jesus. 
Okay, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so this is a, a partially realized understanding of the kingdom, right? So Jesus came in and, and started to establish his kingdom. And, and as Billy uh, said earlier, we await this advent of, of Jesus' return where he will establish his kingdom once for all time. Um, so these are qualifying names and, and, and ideas and understandings of who Jesus is in the text and why this man is so important. So verse 34 And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, uh, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed so Mary is going to get pregnant and you know even at a young age she understands that for this to happen there is a process okay that's it that's all I'm going to say um, but, but what she communicates is that I have not been a part of this process yet I am a virgin okay and, 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 and Gabriel says listen the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the, the, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. These two uh, statements, the way in which they are stated, is to communicate that this is all God. Okay, They're, I know that you're a virgin. God knows that you're a virgin, and it has nothing to do with that. This is all God, and so the, the Holy Spirit is gonna make this happen, and you're gonna be overshadowed by, overshadowed by the Most High. And so Jesus, it says that he will be set apart. He will be anointed. He will be holy, which is what that word means, to be set apart for a purpose. And this is, this is the, the promised Messiah. And so he re- reiterates it's the son of God. And then Gabriel tells her about Elizabeth and John the Baptist's birth and, and, and even to communicate with, with that statement that, listen, I know this seems extreme. I know this seems strange, but nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Look at Elizabeth. She is pregnant and in her sixth month, nothing is impossible with God. And so Mary says, okay, okay, I'm a servant. Let it be so. And then Gabriel departs. So in our time remaining, I want to talk about these two ideas, right, to kind of set the foundation for the next few weeks. Um, Can this, uh, can we believe this to be true? Can we believe it? Right, from this text, can we believe it? And if it's true, why does it matter? What are the implications? I'm gonna say to you that I believe we can believe it. I think we should believe it. And in fact, the author of uh, the, this book, Luke, wants you to believe it, the reader. And in fact, he says in the very first lines of Luke, he says this, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, So all the things that are happening, all the things that you see, everything that has come to pass, you've seen it, right? And and many have tried to compile a narrative of these things. Just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good for me, uh, having followed all these things closely for some time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Okay, so Luke uh, wants this man Theophilus, who, is, who, who he is writing to specifically, and I think that carries on into us, that you can read this and know for certainty that what has happened 
is true. You can believe it and you can trust it. Now, why, what evidence is there in the text for us to believe it? Well, the first set, I think, is the, the, the witness verified appearances. Okay, so, so like I said, every detail is important. Right? In all these characters' names, there's Mary, there's Joseph, there's Elizabeth. It's, it's, he, he, in many instances, Luke probably went to them specifically and asked, how did it happen? And then he names names so that the people that might read it and might find out about it, even Theophilus or whoever might get a hold of it later, could go to them and say, how did it happen? Right? And so, so even though uh, in Jewish law, two, two witnesses were needed to make it legally binding, Luke is saying, listen, Go ask. This person has a witness. Go ask. This person was a witness. This happened to them. And then the things happened exactly as it said it was going to happen. Okay, so when, when Mary went to Elizabeth, she was in her sixth month, right? When Mary had a baby, Joseph went to divorce this, their, in their betrothal, and the angel appeared to Joseph and said, don't do it, right? And so all of these things are validated through witnesses, which is hugely important, okay? Now, the reason that the validation is so important is because Again, all the details being important, uh, we have a lot of fulfilled prophecies in this text, okay? Now, I don't know how long some of you have been following Jesus. I don't know how long, um, if all of you follow Jesus, but if you've been following Jesus for long, you've probably heard things like, oh, it's a fulfilled prophecy, fulfilled prophecy, fulfilled prophecy, and it starts to just kind of become commonplace, kind of becomes no big deal. I wanna tell you this morning that a fulfilled prophecy is actually a huge deal, okay? Huge deal. Now listen, there are you know, supposed fulfillments of a prophecy, one singular prophecy, um, and boys in, in China or wherever, and, and they are worshiped. Okay, they are worshiped because people think that this thing that was spoken about this boy years ago has come to pass, okay? The statistic anomaly of eight prophecies being fulfilled. Now, when I say prophecy, most of the prophecies about Jesus were, were spoken of maybe a thousand years before Jesus was born, give or take 500 years or so, right? The statistic anomaly of eight being fulfilled is the chance of that happening is one in 10 to the 17th power. Of eight prophecies, one, that's one with 17 zeros at the end of it. I was reading this article of this science guy, much smarter than I am, trying to, trying to give a, an example of what that would be like, right? And so he said, listen, take a silver dollar, okay? Take a silver dollar, and then you put 10 to the 17th power silver dollars in the state of Texas, right? I know you guys are like in a feud with Texas. It's cool. It's just, this is the article. So Texas, if you put 10 to the 17th silver dollars in Texas, it would fill Texas two feet high. Okay, and then he says this, take one of those, put an X on it, chunk it out into the middle, and then mix them all up, spread them two feet high. And then take your good friend and put a blindfold on him and say, walk out into Texas, you have one chance to pick up the coin with the X on it. Okay, that is the statistical impossibility of eight prophecies being fulfilled in the life of Jesus or the life of anybody, okay? I wanna read eight from this alone this text alone, 
okay? That he was gonna be born of a woman, that's Genesis 3.15. Uh, born of a virgin was Isaiah 7.14. An heir to the King David's throne, that's 2 Samuel 7, 12, and 13, and Isaiah 9.7. Descendant of the house of Jacob of Israel, Numbers 24.17. Born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. Um, throne is anointed, set apart, and holy, Psalm 45, 6, and 7. Messiah's throne would be eternal, Daniel 2, 44, and a messenger would prepare the way for Messiah, Isaiah 43 and 5. Okay, that's John the Baptist from the previous story. That's eight in this little piece of text alone, okay? Do you know how many prophecies were fulfilled in the life of Jesus? Just take a guess, real question. Anybody? Over 330. Over 330 in the life of Jesus alone. A statistical impossibility unless it's true and God orchestrated it. Someone with complete power and control over time and space and reality and matter has the ability to make all of this come to fruition impossible unless there is a being capable of doing that. So when, when there's eight prophecies fulfilled in this little piece of text alone, the statistical reality of that, we can trust. We can go, okay, and then the witnesses to verify it. We can, we can move forward from here in a logical understanding of, yeah, I, I think this is true. I think it's, if, it's, if I don't believe it, I think the, the, the empirical data makes it seem logical. That's a smart way of saying it, right? It seems as though this might be true. In fact, um, 2 Corinthians 1.20, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. All the promises of God, all the promises of God find their yes, affirmative, absolutely, in Jesus, okay? So all of them find their promise, all the promises of God find their yes in him. So again, I think Jesus coming to earth is the greatest news in the history of the world and I think we can believe it. I think we can believe that he really came and that it's really the greatest news in the whole world, okay? So if it's true, let's just say, empirical data makes it seem logical. If it's true, what are the implications for our life? Because if Jesus is our king, and we are a part of his kingdom under his authority, under his rule, it has serious implications for our lives, okay? Serious implications for our lives. So what does it matter? Why does it matter if, if it's true? Two main reasons. One, we have a sin separation problem. We have a sin separation problem. In Genesis one and two, God creates everything. He creates everything, and, he, and it's all so good. It's very good, right? In fact, the one thing in the garden, I don't know if you ever heard, like, caught this, the one thing in the garden that wasn't good, it's not good for man to be alone, so God creates woman, gals, take that with you, okay? But everything, God looks at everything as is very good, and, and he creates Adam, and he creates Eve, and he says, listen, you can partake of this garden, do work, just enjoy, there's one thing you can't do, and that's eat, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? And so what happens in Genesis 3? In Genesis 3, um, by the way, before Genesis 3, 
They're walking and talking and interacting with God and just enjoying him in the way that it was designed, okay? The way it's still designed to enjoy God. In Genesis three, Satan comes to Adam and Eve and says, God doesn't want you to do that because you'll be like him. Right? He's, he's holding back from you. He doesn't know what's best for you. And so Eve takes of the fruit and Adam's right there. Is this just, it's not all on Eve, right? In fact, the Bible says that it's Adam's fault, okay? Neither here nor there. Takes of the fruit and eats it and fractures everything. Sin and death enter into the world. In fact, the fracture is so deep that it separates us from God. And the problem with this giant chasm is that we can't cross it on our own. We, we have a sin, sin enters the, the, the cosmos, if you will, and separates us from God, and we can't do anything about it. It's too far. It's too far of a leap. It's too far of a jump for us to get back to where God is. So what does God do? If you read the Old Testament from start to finish, he starts to do these things that, where he draws close to his people, right? And, and, and uh, let's see. Oh, let me back up, right? Because it's easy to go, well, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch that. Forget it. I'm not even, I'm not, forget the notes. Uh, <laughs> in, in the book of Exodus, he draws his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, and, he, and, he, and he's there with him uh, as a pillar of smoke in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night, a cloud of smoke, pillar of fire, leading his people, being with his people. And then he gives them a system, a tabernacle system, where he is literally, the presence of God is there. They set up this big tent, and, and, and the presence of God is actually there. And then he gives us laws to, to uh, you can't be, unclean and approach God and so he gives us these means by which we can be clean and approach God and, and, and his presence and then, and then later on there's a temple, same idea, the presence of God is literally over the Ark of the Covenant and, and, we, and we, there's a sacrificial system in which we are clean and can go before God and, and once a year the, 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 priest, the high priest literally can go into the presence of God and, 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 and he creates these systems by which he's drawing near to us, drawing near to us, drawing near to us. And, and I don't want us to get away from this because the book of Romans says two things. In 3.23, it says, uh, I'm gonna go back to my notes here. 3.23 says, Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, so it wasn't just Old Testament, right? If you, if you are a person in this room, you have sinned and you have fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. And by the way, then the Bible goes on to say, the wages of sin is death in Romans 6. Okay, so, so many of us have jobs in here, and we know that if we work hard at the end of our week or two weeks or month or whatever it is, that we get a paycheck. Okay, so what the Bible says is, hey, you worked real hard at sinning, so let me give you your paycheck. Oh, death. Right, like what would that look like if you got your check on Friday? Like, sweet, how much did I make? Death, all right, all right you know. <laughs> This is not good news for us. And the reason it's not good news is because it is, it, is, it is the separation from God that is so bad. In fact, the Bible says that if we don't believe in Jesus, that that separation persists throughout eternity. And we spend eternity apart from God. Okay, but the implications here uh, of why this, this Jesus coming as man and, and, and why that's so important it's because he, he fixed this sin separation problem, right? He, he came and uh, he came 
to be what we couldn't be. Okay, so let, let me try and explain this. If you, as the guilty party, right, if we're the guilty ones, we don't get, we don't have the power to say we're not guilty anymore, right? I went um, maybe eight months ago, I was on jury duty, which is, you know, my favorite thing in the whole world, not really. Um, but it was very surreal because we got into the courtroom and you don't know what your case is gonna be and we're sitting there and a guy walks in and uh, they read the charges and it's murder, right? It is murder. And I was like, whoa. Now, innocent until proven guilty. So, but you can't, it's like, wow, that guy could have in theory committed murder. So it was very surreal. What Jesus coming means. Now, let me pause the jury duty story, okay? Jesus came to do what we couldn't do, right? What we need, what we need is someone to remove the sin separation problem. But the sin has caused the chasm. And if you have a kid in here, you, reckon, you know that, hey, disobedience, you get a consequence. Dis- you have to. Disobedience gets a consequence. And the, I don't know, have you ever seen that movie National Treasure? I don't know why this always comes to mind, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, at the end, they find the treasure, and, and, and Nicolas Cage is talking to the cop, and the cop is like, uh, Nicolas Cage says, you know, I'd like this guy to get you know, free, and this guy to get free, and I'd really like to, to not go to jail, right? And the cop says, somebody's gotta go to jail. They stole the Constitution, somebody's gotta go to jail, okay? It's the reality. Sin was committed, somebody's gotta have a consequence. Somebody has to have a consequence. And Jesus coming into the world this is what happened. He came into the world and he followed the Holy Spirit perfectly, lived a perfect life, and then went to the cross and died for you and for me. God poured out his wrath onto Jesus. He bore our consequence onto himself. Second um, Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so... God pouring out his wrath onto Jesus enables us to become the righteousness of God, to to fix the sin separation problem, to breach that chasm, okay? And so it would look like this. Jury duty room. Let's say they have the trial and the man is found guilty, guilty of murder, sentenced to death, okay? And what they do, they stand up, they say, stand up, you're guilty, you're sentenced to death, you may go. What do you mean you may go? Well, I, the judge, have found you guilty, but instead of you going to die, it's gonna be me. And they take her out and, well, it was a female judge, so that's why I said her. But that's what's going on here. The one who has the power to declare guilty or not guilty takes the punishment on our behalf makes us not guilty, makes us, it's this theological word called justification. You are justified in the court of God. So the sin separation problem is dealt with. And listen, if you're in here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, praise God, your sin separation problem is done. Okay, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Okay, Galatians 5.1 says that, listen, if you're still worried about that, you are uh, Submitting once again to a yoke of slavery. Okay, you are free. For, for, for freedom, Christ set us free. You are free. Your sin separation problem is no more. Praise God for that. 
Okay, so if that is you this morning, praise God. If that is not you this morning, if you're like in here and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know if that's true, I don't believe that, I don't know what I think about that. Um, I know Randall, I know his team would love to talk to you. I'll talk to you. This is a big deal. And if it, if it is true, which I believe it is, it has major implications in this life and the next, okay? So first reason it matters is salvation. The first reason Jesus coming into the world is the greatest news the world has ever known is because of salvation. It deals with our sin separation problem. The second reason is we have a sin persistence problem. Okay, we have a sin persistence problem. Listen, if you've been saved in here and in the, in the eyes of God you are hidden in Christ and, and your past, present, future sins are dealt with, and yet, how many of you guys got in a fight on the way to church this morning? Or let's go within the past 48 hours. You know, sometimes in church you're like, a, you know, oh, I'll, I'll be on my best behavior on the way. Or how many of you got cut off on the way to church this morning and thought, man, if I could just blow that car up and the people not be hurt, I would do that. <laughs> right? Maybe, is that just me? I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, listen. There is an aspect of our sinful flesh in which we, just like Paul, we don't do the things that we desire to do and the things that we do we hate. Why is that? It's because we have a sin persistence problem. Our heart, our heart needs to be transformed. It needs to be transformed. It is, and that is, that is why Jesus came, okay? Okay. Uh, Hebrews 12.2 says this about Jesus. is looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Okay, listen to what, that just, what he just said. The author and perfecter of our faith. Okay. Uh, throwing a lot of scripture at you. I'm, I'm not sorry for that, but you don't have to write it all down or anything, but Romans 8.29, right? Every, many of you have probably heard Romans 8.28. We know that for, all, for the, those who love God, all things work together for good. How do we know that? How do we know that? It's Romans 8.29, which says this. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined, what? To be conformed to the image of Christ. To be conformed to the image of Christ. Okay, what does that mean? It means that your destination of conformity, what your, what your heart self is going to be, has already been decided. Your destination has been set. You don't get to choose, you know, Italy and end up in South Africa, right? You, you're Italy. You're done. God chose it for you. That's where you're going. Okay, and what happens when we get saved, uh, when God saves us, many people think, cool, here's this time in my life when I get saved, and it's like a straight path, and there we go, and we're just going to, you know, live the, our last years, and that's going to be great. What, what happens, though, when our eyes are given eyes to see as we get to this salvation and we look up and it's, oh, it's actually a giant mountain, right? And at the top of that mountain is a cross and that is Christ-likeness. And so the, the further up the mountain we walk, the more we look up and go, dang, that is farther and farther away. And we get, keep walking, 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 dang, that's farther away. But here's the reality. Here, here's what Romans eight twenty nine says. You're going up the mountain, okay? You are going up the mountain. You can walk up, you can get dragged up, but you're going up the mountain, Okay, and so everything that God, God is working to shape and mold and, and change you, right? The Bible says that part of that, there is an eternal weight of glory that we are being prepared to. It, 
We have to be conformed because we have to stand, if you're a believer, you're gonna be in the presence of God someday and that is a weight that at this moment we cannot bear. Okay, and so, so you're being conformed to Christ's likeness. So what, is, what are the implications of that? What does that mean? It means that now the gospel reaches into the darkest crevices of your heart and says, sin, you cannot be here anymore. Like you cannot hide there anymore. Okay, you can't, you can't be there. And so the, God graciously reveals those things. So it graciously takes those things out of us and, and works to put those things to death. And so that not only are we saved, but we, we live and pursue Christ's likeness and he shapes us and molds us and changes us. Okay, so there's that part of it. But I wanna, I wanna put one thing before you. Okay, because we're, we're in a season where we celebrate Jesus coming as a baby, but that baby went on to, to die and was raised from the dead. And I just wanna say to you this morning, ask a question, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, what else is he capable of doing? What else is he capable of doing in your life? Right, there, there are many of us in here this morning that would say, man, I, be, I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead by God, but the way you, let me, let me say it gently, when we look at our lives and how we deal with things like sadness, anxiety, depression, um, marriage, parenting, all of those things, we say, yeah, God raised Jesus from the dead, but what does that have to do with this part of my life? Okay, what I wanna say to you this morning is the implications of Jesus coming into the world, dying on your behalf and being raised from the dead and conforming you to Christ's likeness has everything to do with that part of your life. Everything to do with that part of life. In fact, to think otherwise is hopeless. The best that the earth, that the world, the system that the world has for you has to offer is getting better. Not drinking anymore, not being anxious anymore, not, not being so sad all the time. That's the best that the world has to offer you. And listen, there are means that help, and praise God, like we, don't, we shouldn't just walk around sad. We should be a joyful people, right? But, but what the Bible has to offer, what God has to offer that, that he is changing and conforming us is something so much better. It's being transformed. It is, being, it is living and, and figuring out a way in which we glorify God and please God in everything that we do, and we're being shaped into a, a, an obedient people. Right, and, and here's, John 14, 21 says this. And this is why obedience is so great, right? Is it, and we get to be obedient. John 14, 21 says that he who has my commands and keeps them, this is Jesus talking, he who has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He, uh, he who has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. I don't think I quoted that exactly right, but the point of this, that is this. When we obey Jesus, we are revealing our love for him and our love for the Father and the Father's loving us and Jesus manifests himself to us. All right, he manifests himself. So when we obey the commands of God, we, we get Jesus, right? So the implications there are, listen, we no longer have to, to be a hopeless people who's, who, who, man, that's just the way I am. I've been labeled as an addict. I've been labeled as a disorder. I've been labeled this. I've been labeled this. That's hopelessness. 
We are a people that can be transformed by the gospel, that can reach into the dark crevices of our heart and our soul, and sin can be brought to light and be put to death by the gospel. So listen. The concept of grace, unmerited favor, nothing that we have done, it's everything that Jesus has done. That is the root of Grace City. At Grace City's core is this concept that it's nothing that we've done, it's everything that Jesus has done. Right? It, is, it is God being gracious to us, sending us Jesus to deal with our sin separation problem and then to deal with our sin persistence problem. And, and, and Jesus, through Jesus, we get to be conformed to his likeness. And you know what? And then we go out, and listen, you guys, it's like for this for us in Savannah, it's this for you guys in San Diego, to go out to your workplace, to go out to your family, be a, a light in the darkness that can be our families sometimes, not just our immediate one, but our, our uh, you know, fa- fam- like distant family, relatives. We can be a light in our workplace and where we work out and our, on our sports teams. All of these places, we're being conformed and changed and, and glorifying God and pleasing God in those interactions. And people are looking upon it and going, man, there is something different about that person. And then we get to say, yeah, dude, that is all Jesus. Let me tell you what I was like and what happened to me, what Jesus did for me and what he's doing for me even now. Right, this is why, these are the implications why it matters that Jesus came into the world, right? He, he deals with our sin separation problem and our sin persistence problem. And so as we wrap up here, Jesus, Jesus is the hope of the world. He is the hope for everyone in this room. He is the hope for me and for you. He is the hope for Grace City. Without him, we don't have salvation. Without him, we don't get to be conformed to Christ's likeness. Okay, so, so this morning as we, as we wrap up, Randall's gonna come up and talk about the, the table here and, and, and we're gonna worship him. And I, Randall would say the same thing. And I, it's all about Jesus. It is, from start to finish, the author and perfecter, all of it, it's about Jesus. And so as we move from a time of of proclamation to a time of celebration, I want us to think about that. I want us to think about what, what is it all about? What, is it true? Yeah, it's true. It doesn't matter. Oh, it matters. It changes everything about who we are. Okay, so I'm going to pray, and and, and we'll be done. I I guess we'll move into a time of communion, but I want to pray. And, and just as we pray, as we think, as we move into to the table and to worship, just, now I just want to set the foundation for it being all about Jesus. That it matters, that it's, the implications are far-reaching in our life and complete. So let me pray. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for, for sending him to, to deal with the reality that we have been separated from you by sin and that we needed the, the not guilty party, the, the authority to declare us not guilty, and the only way we could do that is if Christ came and died as a man and bore the sins of man for us. So God, if there's anyone in this room this morning that is, is thinking about that and considering that or struggling with that, I pray that you're, you would just 
uh, man, move into their heart space and just in, in their mind and give them eyes to see and ears to hear this morning, God. And for the rest of us, I, I pray that if we're struggling in areas uh, of, of just pain and, and struggle and belief, that you would just help us to, to believe in the sufficiency of Jesus for our life. To, to enter into the far-reaching, dark corners of our heart and start to root out sin. Start to help bring it to light by your grace that you would transform us. God, we love you and we're thankful for Jesus. And I pray that you would help us to glorify him in, in, in a way that is pleasing to you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.